All right. Well, welcome to the Full Grim Podcast. This is episode two. This is only episode two of this podcast. I had I had some pretty big plans for this podcast. I went on a little bit of like a creative kick right before I went to Amsterdam in February. And I thought, oh man, I'm going to do my own podcast. Just, just me. Just full on, full grim podcast. And I did one episode. Felt great was really excited about it got home from Amsterdam and it didn't it just completely fell off by the wayside I got back home and I thought okay well shit now I have to do this I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to shoot videos and I gotta do the Tuesday bro Tuesday and I gotta have all the you know the articles ready to go and then I gotta prep the vlog and I end my work day my work week just did not facilitate me doing another podcast on top of what everything that I was already doing I had really kind of big plans for this podcast. I wanted to have guests on. My my first guest was going to be Mike Vapes. We even worked out a time to do it, and then it just kind of fell off both of our radars. The date came and went, and I didn't reach out to him, and he didn't reach out to me, and we kept planning it, and we kept moving the date and moving the date and moving the date. But that was my original, you know, one of my original intentions with this podcast was to have guests on and not necessarily just you know, talk about the industry and and not necessarily just talk about vaping, but talk to the, talk to the person, I, you know, and Mike Vapes was the first one I wanted to have on because I realized apart from, you know, the occasional drunken sort of uh, conversations that we would have at vape shows or vape events, I really didn't know Mike. And I, and I didn't know much about the guy, Mike, behind the Mike Vapes. And so I thought, man, that would be so cool to have him on, have a great conversation, get to know Mike a little bit more, and it just didn't happen. And that really, really bums me out. And that might still be a thing in the future. And so what I've decided to do, why there is an episode two of this full grim podcast, is I took this week off of doing anything. I I wasn't creating any content. I wasn't shooting any reviews. I wasn't taking neat Instagram photos or anything like that. I did spend a lot of time on Twitter, but I wasn't on Facebook and I wasn't on any other social media. And I just, it's, and the, and the reasoning is I just felt weird about it. I didn't want to just jump on a Thursday vlog or a Tuesday bro Tuesday and pretend like, hey, cool, everything's Everything's kind of normal, right? We're, we're, we're clinging on to this last little bit of normalcy. You know, we want to keep it as normal as possible. And it's a hard decision. And I posted this on YouTube, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But it's a hard decision to pull yourself away from what you do, especially when the end result of it will ultimately be that your numbers will suffer, your subscribers will, will, will drop, your views will go down. That's part of the that's part of the catch 22 of being whatever it is that I am these days. I hate the term influencer, I hate the term YouTuber. I don't I don't know what I am. Whatever this is, I, I don't know what it is. And one of the things of being whatever this is is just that. You're you constantly have to to put stuff out and I, I know that when I take a week off of YouTube, I see it in my analytics. I, I see what goes on. My views go down. My subscribers go down. The, you know, YouTube stops promoting my channel. And on Instagram, it's the same thing. If you're not posting like every single day, 
then the algorithm will just fuck you up the butt with a gluten-free dildo. YouTube, YouTube and social media kind of in general, it's just a lot of nonsense. You know, it's just a lot of useless, bright, flashy images that just take your attention for as long as they're on your screen. And as soon as you pass by them, they're just gone. Boom, you know, erased from your memory. It's one of the reasons I really dislike Instagram. It's one of the reasons I really dislike a lot of social media is there's just no, pardon me. I had a, I had a, I had a protein smoothie, you see. So there might be a, there might be a little bit of that burp life happening, but I'm going to try to keep that to a minimum because that's legitimately gross, especially on a podcast, especially if like, I apologize to anybody who is listening with headphones right now because you just heard a gross, gross, I'll just edit that out. I'm going to edit that burp completely out. (laughs) So being in this you know, quote unquote space, this person on the internet that has uh, followers and people who watch my content and people who follow me on Twitter and people who interact with my posts and things like that, I felt a little bit obligated to say something about what was going on, you know, considering George Floyd and the protests and the riots and everything going on in the world right now, on top of quarantine, COVID, lockdown, on top of an election year with elections coming up, and on top of everything else that everybody is experiencing, on top of you know World Vape Day, which I want to talk about a little bit later, on top of trying to defend vaping to people who you know just want to ban it and regulate it out of existence. The world just feels really, really heavy right now, really, really heavy right now. And so I wanted to take this week off to kind of literally and figuratively take a step back from everything, from 100% of everything and just reevaluate the things that I believe and the things that I, you know, have held dear my entire life and let people Maybe question those things, you know? This is one of the reasons why I love following people on social media or Twitter or, you know, YouTube and things of, you know, people I might not necessarily agree with or might, you know, but they're going to bring, they're going to bring a new point of view to it, you know, a new sort of lens, as it were, and challenge the things that I think and challenge the things that I, that I believe and, so this episode, this the second episode here of the Full Grim Podcast is going to be really getting to know Grim Green. And uh, I would like to wrap it up with uh, World Vape Day, I guess. I think that's how this is going to go. So let's just kind of, uh, let's just kind of jump into it. I've never felt the need on YouTube or anywhere else across the internet to misrepresent who I am. I've always just been very, very forward very, very open, very honest um, about most everything that I think or believe. I've never felt the need to sort of put on a show or or placate people or just say things that people want to hear so that I can, you know, uh, get more views or get more subscribers or anything like that. And so there's no real reason at this point, you know, at this stage of the game to misrepresent who I am or be anything but completely forthright and honest with everybody. And 
what's going on in America right now is is just heavy. It is just heavy. And like I said earlier, it has challenged a lot of what I had previously thought and ideologies I had previously really, really subscribed to. It's it's challenging a lot of that. And and by a lot of that, I mean it's challenging all of that. And I felt I felt I knew that I was going to take this last week off. Um, for anybody listening, what's the date today? Today's the 5th. So today's Friday, June 5th. And I knew that I was going to take this whole week off because, like I said, it didn't feel right to just kind of try to jump on YouTube and pretend that everything was okay. And I didn't have much to add to the conversation. And I didn't want my voice or my views to overshadow what was happening. I didn't want my views and my voice to overshadow other people's views and voices that may be a little bit more important than just, you know, Grim Green, that vape guy on YouTube. So I knew I was going to take this whole week off, and I felt like I owed it to my subscribers to give some sort of explanation as to why there is no reviews this week, why there's no Tuesday Bro Tuesday this week, why is there no vlog this week, and I owed that at least an explanation to that. And so I sat down on YouTube and I just started typing up a post saying, look, this is what's going to happen. And and that post sort of evolved into a little bit more of something else and, and put out a few stances out there. And it kind of, I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy with it. I spent a long time trying to, to pick my words well and avoid divisiveness, which is just too rampant in the world and in the vape community these days. And so I was really, I felt really good about my post, felt really great about it. And I just put it out there. And the idea behind it was, look, I'm just trying to learn like everybody else about what is really going on. And this has opened my eyes to a lot of things that is wrong, just very, very wrong, wrong, wrong with the world today. I was honestly a little bit surprised and a little bit shocked uh, to the reactions that my post got. I posted it on YouTube. I posted the same thing on Twitter. I posted the same thing on Instagram. And I posted the same thing on Facebook. And for the most part, the, the overwhelming majority of people were very, very supportive of it. Very, very supportive. Very, very understanding. And there were also... Oh, there's another burp coming. Hang on. <laughs> and there were also just lots of really hateful comments and lots of very public unsupporting of Grim Green and unsubscribing of Grim Green. And that part was the weirdest, I guess, hardest to swallow part of the whole thing because when you're when when I'm just vaping and I'm just on YouTube and I'm talking about vaping and tobacco control and uh, crooked politicians like Governor Cuomo who in the middle of a pandemic decides to to ban flavored vaping products you know opportunistic politicians that will take any crisis they possibly can to continue to push their agenda through and I always kept it very very centrist 
I guess, you know, I, n- I didn't necessarily like to call out, oh, it's it's the left, you know, that's really against vaping. It's these liberal states and, you know, the conservatives, oh, they're definitely behind vaping. It's coming to the point now where it's not possible to just continue to to be this centrist sort of line and try to appease everybody all the time. It's coming to a point now where I think myself and a lot of people are realizing that this it feels like just a big dog and pony show. Doesn't it? At least it feels that way to me, especially when I see Trump do these these photo ops in front of a church uh, with a Bible, and it's it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty transparent to me. He's just pandering for votes, just pandering for votes, and I see no difference in a lot of these politicians. It all just seems like a big dog and pony show. Dog and pony show. They don't really care about us. They don't really care if we live or die. And I think that's been pretty evident for vapors for a really long time when we have this incredible product that has got, you know, hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands of smokers off of deadly combustible tobacco cigarettes. And then we see these politicians with their misguided knee-jerk reactions to just ban it, to just ban the safer alternative and I think that was a wake-up call for a lot of vapors to take a look at politics and to get maybe involved in politics for the first time and then eventually, like me, come to this conclusion that they don't really care. Even negatively, they don't really care if they're banning vaping. They uh, clearly don't care about public health. I'm convinced that Congressman Rajah has no idea what he's talking about and honestly just wants to appear, you know, quote-unquote tough. On something. That's why he's trying to ban vaping on a, on a federal national level in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of the George Floyd protests and riots. That's, that's his big concern right now is ridding the market of deadly, you know, oh, deadly vapor products. I hope you're picking up on the sarcasm. <laughs> hope you're picking up on the sarcasm there. Oh, deadly vapor products, right? Deadly vapor products. Meanwhile, tobacco cigarettes, which the known killer tobacco cigarettes, empirically proven to be the known killer tobacco cigarettes, still freely, freely, widely available on the market, you know, in, in any convenience store across the nation, but they're going after vaping. And that was one of the, not one of the first things, but a big thing that made me go, they, they actually don't care. And even when, even when, even when we got Donald Trump's attention and even when he did those, whatever, those weird little gestures for vaping, trying to win back the vape vote because Paul Blair had pointed out on Twitter and uh, through, through his publications that vapors could cost Donald Trump the election. So what did Donald Trump do as soon as we threatened his votes? You know, as soon as we threatened his votes, well, then, then it was a whole other story. He, he flip-flopped a little bit. I think in his head said, I don't want to lose those vape votes, so I need to do something to keep those vape votes. Their only concern is getting the votes and staying in power. They literally do not care. They do not care if you live or die. They do not care if you have access to far less harmful products than what is currently available. They do not care. 
something that I say on uh, YouTube a lot, a lot, so much, so many times I can't even count. But one thing that I say on YouTube all the time, and this has happened a lot more on Tuesday Bro Tuesday, just because Tuesday Bro Tuesdays kind of kind of become like a little bit of like a news, slightly political thing. I'm not sure exactly what road that's going down, but I like it. You know, I welcome, I welcome that change and I welcome that conversation. But this is something I say on YouTube first and foremost. I am a freedom guy. I'm a registered libertarian, and I'm a freedom guy. I believe that we are all born free people, and the only role of the government is to defend our freedoms and our liberties and make sure that we have as much freedom and as much liberty as possible. This is where I stand on almost every, every political topic ever. If it's taking away freedom, it's a bad thing. And if it's giving us freedom, it's a good thing. I'm very, very, very socially liberal. And I'm very, very fiscally conservative and small government conservative. I'm 43 years old now, which means I was born in 1977. So I was only a little kid you know, when Reagan was president and when you're a little, when you're a kid, you don't, you don't talk about politics. You don't think about politics. Even in middle school and high school, you don't talk about politics. You don't think about politics. You only have the influence of your family or your parents or whatever television shows you're watching and things like this. And I grew up, I, and I feel, I don't know, blessed as much as I dislike that word I feel blessed and I feel you know uh I can't can't think of the word hey can't think of the word at all blessed I guess that's the word we're going with I feel blessed that I got to grow up when I did and and be exposed to the media or the television shows that I was exposed to because I I grew up watching things like Star Trek the original series and take a look at Star Trek, the original series. My dad was a huge Star Trek fan, still is a huge Star Trek fan. And I grew up watching the, the original series from, from the 1950s. And when I watched Star Trek as a kid, that is my first introduction into, you know, sort of diversity, right? You look at the original cast of Star Trek, you have uh, James T. Kirk, just the typical captain, white guy. We have, we have, the, we have an Asian dude, Sulu who's part of the crew. We have uh, an alien, Spock. We have Uhura, uh, you know, the first black woman to be, you know, part of a major cast on network television. So I grew up thinking this is perfectly normal for all of us to kind of work together to beat the bad guy, you know, white people and, and a black woman and an Asian guy <laughs> and an alien and sometimes blue people. But it was always very much that sort of diversity and that diverse cast of people and that's some of the first some of the first diversity that I was that I was exposed to so later on in life when people you know when I learned that people were racist and they just didn't like other people simply based on the color of their skin it it made no sense to me it made literally no sense to me i was thinking in my head haven't you watched star trek have you not watched star trek they all, they all have to work together, you know? Sulu and Ohura and Kirk and Spock and, and Scotty, they, they all have to work together. McCoy, Bones, they, they all have to work together if they want to succeed. And not once on that show did I ever hear Captain Kirk say something negative to Uhura 
simply because of the color of her skin. Now, I'm not defending all of Star Trek. Sure, you can go back to the 1950s and, you know, the romance and the storylines. And sure, there's probably some sexism thrown there, thrown in there. But the overall diversity of it really resonated with me and really made me wonder how, if we all work together, we can beat the bad guy. Why would you hate someone or dislike someone because of something that they had no control over? zero control over. You have no control over where you're born, how you're born, in any capacity. You didn't choose to be born a white guy. You didn't choose to be born a black guy. You didn't choose to be born an Asian woman. You didn't choose to be born a blue alien with little antenna. You didn't choose any of that. And so to dislike someone or to outright hate someone based on that seemed like such a crazy crazy foreign concept to me crazy foreign concept to me i also grew up in uh you know the punk rock and heavy metal scene and that is a very political scene as well but especially the heavy metal scene is a very you know i like to say gates open come on in the heavy metal scene is a very gates open come on in you know any the only the only prerequisite we had if you wanted to be part of the metal scene was do you like metal you do Okay, cool. That's it. Welcome. Anybody, literally anybody, welcome. Come rock out. Come bang your head. Let's listen to some metal. Very inclusive, diverse community. Very, very gates open. Come on in. So that's one of those other things in my life that just really resonated with me in that the metal community was something that welcomed even me into it. You know, I, I, at the time, I don't have any tattoos. I, I, you know, I'm trying to grow my hair out. I'm trying to be this poser metal kid. And they didn't care. They didn't care that I didn't know all of the lyrics to every Slayer song. They didn't care that I didn't know every single Anthrax album that came out. I, I just got accepted. It was like, you know, a brotherhood, more or less. I mean, that's the, I, mean I guess that's the best comparison I, I can make. And so there's things in my life that have really resonated with me. And that's why racism makes me so upset because I don't understand it. And exclusivity makes me so upset because I don't understand it. Like, why don't you want people to be a part of what you're a part of? Like, you really want to gatekeep something like that and keep someone out who might enjoy it? It just, it didn't make any sense to me. So things like, things like diversity and things like inclusiveness are just important to me and that's just part of how I was raised is to keep those things important I also grew up in uh, I also grew up in Lake Tahoe California which is a very small town up in northern California sits right on the border of California and Nevada I, I lived many 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 years in Nevada I lived many 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 years on the California side I lived Many, many years, like right on the border where I lived in California and worked in Nevada or worked or lived in Nevada and worked in California just because the border was right there. So I'm a California native, born, uh, raised in California. And Lake Tahoe, California is a very, very small town, very, very small, small town. It was a very much a tourist town, rich people from Southern California and Northern California and the San Francisco Bay Area would 
come up to Lake Tahoe, California to go snow skiing in the wintertime and rent cabins and have timeshares and, and get in their boats and yacht around the lake and things like this. And I just, I never thought about any of that. To me, that was just just normal life. Sure, I, I live in this great area with this great big alpine lake and uh, everybody has a boat and everybody snow skis and everybody drives SUVs and that was just kind of a normal thing to me. I didn't think about the fact that there was, you know, a few hundred miles away in Southern California, there's this enormous homeless population. You know, I didn't know that a few hundred miles away down in Southern California, there was, you know, uh, things like gang wars going on and police brutality happening in the 90s with, you know, NWA tried to warn us about the police and how they were treating Black, the black community in Southern California, and all of that was just so far off my radar, it, it didn't even seem to exist. It just, it just, it just, it just seemed like, oh, well, that's, that's, somewhere, that's so far away. You know, that will never affect me. That's what you think. I'm in middle school. I'm in middle school. I'm in sixth grade. And I remember one of my buddies, uh, Kevin. And Kevin used to rock an NWA shirt to school. And I thought whoa, <laughs> I, I, I know what I know about NWA, and I know what the N in NWA stands for, and Kevin is a, a hard ass, you know? Kevin is hard. He listens to NWA and rocks an NWA t-shirt in sixth grade to school. And at the time, I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't know what they were going through. I just thought, I personally judged a book by its cover and just thought that, oh, you know, these are gang members or something. They're just being gang members down in Southern California and terrorizing their own cities. And why are they rapping about being gangsters and gang members and terrorizing their own towns and their own cities? I would never support that. I would never support that. Well, fast forward to, you know, within the last few years, Within the last few years, I think I could pinpoint it into like 2017, actually, that I finally understood, holy shit, like they weren't just gang members and gangbangers terrorizing their own city. They were fighting for their communities because they themselves were being terrorized by this authoritarian, aggressive Los Angeles police department. And that's what they were rapping about. They were rapping about their lives. And I just, being who I was at that time, I, I didn't get it. And who could expect a sixth grader to understand the complexities and depths of, you know, authoritarian police officers terrorizing the black community and that these rappers were just rapping about that? Like, you couldn't have expected me to but I wish that I hadn't just written it off. And there's a lot of things in my life now that, you know, that I look back on where I just, I just wrote it off. You know, I didn't bother to do a deep dive. I just straight up judged a book by its cover and did, and, and did no further, further look into it and made no attempt to understand it. And that's the part of me now that I'm really very much trying to reverse because I can't I can't possibly understand I can't possibly understand what the black community has gone through with this 
incessant, I mean, years and years, hundreds of years of this oppression and this terrorizing by authoritarian police officers. And, you know, I know that racism plays a huge part of it. And, and racism is such a, it's such a, uh, it's such a divisive topic. And you just, it, it exists and you can't keep your head in the sand about it. You just, you just can't. And I'm not saying that all of these are racially motivated, but they don't necessarily even need to be racially motivated individually. And I think that's one thing that people are focusing on, that they're spending way too much time focusing on. Is people are saying, oh, well, you don't know if that cop was, if that was racially motivated or not. You don't know that. And you're right. I don't know that if that one instance was racially motivated or not. Sorry, I punched my pop filter. If that one instance was racially motivated or not. But I know that that police officer comes from a system that has systemic racism just woven into it. So maybe if that one instance wasn't racially motivated, the overwhelming majority of it, because of the systemic racism that's just part of the fabric of it, is racially motivated. So what I have been trying to do over this last week is just kind of sit back and kind of read and learn and talk to people and get differing points of views and have my viewpoints challenged and uh, just just try to really learn as much as I can and really try to understand as much as I can of what's going on. And I'm not going to sit here and go on a big rant about systemic racism. It's something that you can look into for yourself. It kind of blew my mind a little bit. And it's one of those things where you kind of always have it in the back of your mind, but it's such a touchy subject that you never really want to talk about it. You know, you never really want to bring it up because it's such an ugly, ugly thing. You know, why would you want to understand it even more? You know, you don't really want to talk about it or bring it up. And so, what I would encourage everybody to do is try to try to listen, you know, try to listen, try to learn, try to learn from other people outside of your echo chamber of beliefs or your echo chamber of ideologies. Just just listen, just listen and learn and and try to be a better person today than you were yesterday. This has been a recurring mantra oath, whatever you want to call it for me personally, is I'm trying to be a better person every single day. I'm trying to be a better person today than I was yesterday. I'm trying to be a more understanding person today than I was yesterday. I'm trying to be a more empathetic person today than I was yesterday. And I think at the end of the day, if we're all striving for that, then, then we can ch- we can achieve greatness. We we can change the world. We can we can get the reform that we want. We can we can change the system. You know, the system is the root cause of all of this problem. And I'm again, I don't want to go on a rant. I'm not going to try to sit here and try to explain it to you because truly and honestly, I'm still learning about it, and I'm learning about things that have really opened my eyes and really blown me away. And one of those things, I'll just throw this out there. One of those things was the Tulsa race war. I didn't until a week ago, 
I had no idea that this was even a part of American history. There are so many parts of American history that do not get taught to anybody in schools, and they just would rather have it swept under the rug and forget about, oh, yeah, remember, uh, yeah, sorry that we used, uh, you know, slave labor to build the Capitol building. Sorry about that. Sorry we, build, we used slave labor to build the first White House. Yeah, we just, we, we kind of, we don't really, we don't really like to talk about that. We don't really like to talk about that. Yeah, I know. Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. I know. I'm, we don't really like to talk about that. And the Tulsa race war that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, is horrifying. Horrifying. Completely, completely horrifying. And I had no idea. And as soon as I was, I read this huge paper about the, the Tulsa race war, and it really put a lot of things into perspective for me. And I'm thinking, this was 100 years ago. 100 years ago. So, at least for 100 years, the black community has been dealing with this at least 100 years, you know? And it's probably been, I'm assumedly so, I'm still, you know, it goes back to the birth of our nation, right? They've been dealing with this for a very, very long time. And I think with, with quarantine, with COVID, on top of everything else, on top of this ridiculous shit, you know, I said this already, it was just a, a powder keg waiting to go off. And I believe that we are really in the middle of a uh, of something big, some some revolution, you know? And and part of that part of that systemic racism, going back to this, is I promise I'm gonna bring this back around. I promise I'm gonna bring this back around. Part of this part of this systemic racism is, you know, what Nixon created uh, as far as the war on drugs. And the war on drugs is something that I have never understood and I've always felt was very, very bizarre. A war, a war on drugs. Truly and honestly, when I look at the war on drugs or things like menthol bans and flavor bans that disproportionately affect the black community and the minority communities, it really kind of reinforces to me that what I've been doing is is absolutely the right thing. Absolutely the right thing. We've been fighting, we've been fighting tobacco controllers for years and years and years. And a great example of this is I went to the LA County flavor ban hearing in 2019. It was in the summer of 2019, I believe. Summer 2019. That sounds right to me. Yeah, that sounds right to me. And it wasn't just a flavor ban, it was a menthol ban, L.A. County menthol ban as well. And when I attended this meeting, there were a few vapors there, four, five, I think. Greg Conley was there, Fig Ramsey was there, uh, the other gentleman from Five Ponds, whose name I cannot remember because I have a terrible memory. And if you can see my face right now, I'm kind of squinting and doing that like thinky face, like what was his name from Five Ponds and myself was there just a handful, just a handful of vapors. But you know who was there? The black community showed out in large numbers, all wearing t-shirts. They all spoke at the podium and wanted their menthol cigarettes. The market wants what the market wants. This menthol ban and flavor ban would have 
absolutely disproportionately affected the black community. And the lawmakers and those sitting on the city council just did not care, could not care less on how this affected every anybody, much less minorities and the black community completely disproportionately. Gave zero fucks. I ran across a really, really fantastic quote from a fella named, hang on, let me take off my glasses so I can actually read this because I'm nearsighted, you see. Really great quote from this guy, John, oh Lord, hi, my name is Grim Green and I am bad at pronouncing names. John Archleman, Archleman, A-H-R-L, Arlickman, Arlickman, Arlickman. John Arlickman, who was Richard Nixon's former chief advisor. Now, Richard Nixon, in the 70s, started this quote-unquote war on drugs. And this is a direct quote from Richard Nixon's former chief advisor. I want you to know what the war on drugs was really all about. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and the black people. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. To me, that was shocking, eye-opening. I mean, you kind of have this idea in the back of your head, well, maybe they did this for nefarious reasons, but to the public at that time in 1968, Nixon was the good guy, you know? He was declaring this war on drugs that's, that's ruining our country, and really the motivation behind it wasn't to protect Americans, protect public health, he just wanted those votes. He just wanted his enemies, the enemies of his votes, gone. So he associated the hippies with marijuana. He associated the black community with heroin and did what he did, like I just read, made it very, very criminal, gave them the ability to raid their homes and just vilify them on a nightly basis in the news so that all of his, all of his voters would see how tough he's being on this war on drugs and how, how much this is improving America. Dog and pony show. Nothing he did was for the benefit of the United States people. He just wanted to protect his votes. When you ban things like menthol and you ban things like flavored vaping products, all that happens, and I can't believe that there's no politicians that understand this, all that happens is you just create a black market. You turn people into criminals who are otherwise law-abiding citizens, nonviolent criminals, mind you. And all they want is their nicotine, and they have to go through illegal methods to get a less harmful version of it or the version of it that they desire. It creates a black market. It creates 
unnecessary interactions with police officers. I posted this, I posted a video on my Twitter asking if this was a proportionate response, but this cop completely, completely manhandled this poor black dude simply for smoking outside. Smoking a cigarette outside was a, was a hell-worthy trespass worthy of this manhandlement is that a word? Is that a word? Manhandlement from a police officer. It creates extra interactions, extra unnecessary interactions with police officers. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy to me. And so listen, I, w- I do want to talk about World Vape Day. Uh, I want to get there in one second, but I also just want to finish up this uh, this war on drugs, this little war on drugs rant I've been on. Let's, this, is, this comes from uh, drugpolicy.org. And these are just the cut and dry facts of what the war on drugs has, has yielded us. What, what Richard Nixon's war on drugs has yielded us. People of color experience discrimination at every stage of the criminal justice system and are more likely to be stopped, searched, arrested, convicted, harshly sentenced, and saddled with lifelong criminal record. This is particularly the case for drug law violations. Nonviolent people, nonviolent criminals are suddenly criminals worthy of, of spending years and years and years on prison. Nearly 80% of people in federal prison and almost 60% of people in state prison for drug offenses are black and Latino. Research shows that prosecutors are twice as likely to pursue a mandatory minimum sentence for black people as for white people charged with the same offense. Among people who received a mandatory minimum sentence in 2011, 38% were Latino and 31% were black. Black people and Native Americans are more likely to be killed by law enforcement than other racial or ethnic groups. They are often stereotyped as being violent or addicted to alcohol and other drugs. Experts believe that stigma and racism play a major role in police community interactions. And yeah, that's that's something I uh, I completely agree with. I, I, that's something I com- completely, completely agree with. The stigma needs to go away. Obviously, racism needs to go away, but that's not such an easily uh, that's not such an easily fixed thing. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna fake uh, fix ra- racism by posting uh, black squares on our Instagram pages. You know, incorrectly. By the way, I think everybody got that wrong. Everybody on social media on Tuesday started posting black squares with hashtag Black Lives Matter and if you did that, look, maybe it brought some awareness, but that wasn't the point. <laughs> that was completely not the point of posting the black squares. The idea for Blackout Tuesday was to not post anything, post nothing. And if you're posting a black square, especially do not use the hashtag Black Lives Matter because the hashtag is something that people can click on to get relevant and good information. On Tuesday, if you posted the Black Lives Matter, if you searched for the Black Lives Matter hashtag, all you got were a bunch of black squares that served no purpose and gave no information about anything to anyone. I realize it's, uh, you know, I realize it's a lot of people's best intentions, but black the Blackout Tuesday was kind of a uh, kind of a little bit of a botched thing. Anyway, let's uh, 
let's move past this a little bit. And before I get to World Vape Day, I just want to reiterate one more time. Take, take this time, take whatever time you can to, again, learn. Take a step back and learn. Listen to people. Listen to their stories. Research what's going on. See how long this has been going on in the United States. I have been personally very, very skeptical of police and the police officers and the prison complex for years, for years and years. Before any of this started, I remember saying, was it two or three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, might have been a a solid month ago. And I think it was on a Tuesday, bro, Tuesday. I'm going to go try to find the clip. If I can find the clip, shit, I'm going to try to find this clip. But I said on a live stream, generally, I'm, I'm terrified of police officers. And I, 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 I'm just a, I'm just a California born and raised white guy. Like I have full sleeve tattoos and a throat tattoo that I don't think really plays into anything. I am genuinely frightened of police officers. And if I'm genuinely frightened of police officers, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine what it's like to be a black man in the United States right now just cannot imagine that. Um, I don't want to, I'll just say this. There's a person who I had heard a story from recently. And this person said, you know, he's grown up in Southern California. He's been a black man his whole life, grew up in Southern California. And for his entire life, all he can remember is every time you get pulled over by the cops, you stick your hands out the window, like on instinct, You just stick your hands out the window. I have never had to even think about that. Never even had to think about that or consider that. But for this black man, that was his normal. That was his getting pulled over. I need to stick my hands out the window. To me, that's just... That's just one small little thing, just one tiny little droplet in the ocean of of what's going on right now. It, and it's all coming to a head right now. And that's just one little thing that really made me think, that really made me take pause and really made me go, yeah, well, holy shit. Yeah, I've uh, I've never had to do that. I've never even thought about doing that. There have been times where I've been pulled over by police officers and just let go, you know, sometimes with a ticket, sometimes not. Um, There was a time I got pulled over when I was living in Reno, Nevada. This was a number of years ago. I got pulled over in Reno, Nevada, and the cop that pulled me over, uh, pardon me, damn it, I should have edited that out. (laughs) But the cop that pulled me over recognized me from the Starbucks that he used to frequent and just kind of gave me one of those, oh, hey, Oh, I'm sorry. You try to slow down and just let me go. And that's it. I, 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 did, I wasn't ever in fear of my life. I didn't instantly have this impulse to stick my hands out the window so that the cop knows that I'm not holding a weapon so that they don't draw their weapon and escalate the situation even further. I've never had to deal with that. And if you've never had to deal with that, then look into why people do that and why people feel the need to do that. So that was a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of getting no grim green, I guess. I wanted to talk uh, as well, 
How much time do I have left here? Yeah, I got a little bit of time left here. I don't want this to run too long, but I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about World Vape Day. And World Vape Day, it was really, really just bad, 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 bad timing because World Vape Day was scheduled to happen right when all of this, all of this was just coming to a head, you know? And it was a situation of there are so many people involved in this World Vape Day. This was a global, global event that once the car started driving, there was no turning it around. There was no hitting the brakes. We just had to hit the gas and really go for it. And I think that World Vape Day overall was uh, successful, really very successful. Maybe not in the public arena because of other things that were happening and other, you know, people's attention wasn't on tobacco control or or vaping or tobacco harm reduction or things like this. Doesn't make it any less important. That's just not where people's minds were focused. Rightfully so. I mean, justifiably so. That's just not where their minds were focused. So I think that we reached the people that we needed to reach as far as the public goes. And I think we reached, we definitely reached the people that we needed to reach as far as organizations go. You know, the CDC definitely heard us loud and clear. World Health Organization definitely heard us loud and clear. Jerome Adams definitely, definitely heard us loud and clear. The federal, or federal, the Food and Drug Administration definitely, definitely heard us loud and clear. I got up on Saturday morning and I thought, here we go. This is World Vape Day. And I, in bed, I just jumped on Twitter, looked at the World Vape Day hashtag, and it was blowing up. And I thought, this is great. This is going to be so great. And I tweeted, I don't know, probably 12 or 13 times before I got out of bed. Before I got out of bed on Saturday, I had tweeted like 12 or 13 times. And I just kept the party going all day long. Retweets and retweets and tweeting and tweeting and retweets and World Vape Day. And I saw so many people, so many people, mostly consumers, but so many people stepping up and getting involved with World Vape Day. There's too many people to shout out, far too many people to shout out. But if you took part in World Vape Day on Twitter and you helped spread that hashtag World Vape Day around, I, I will shout you out. I will I will shout you out until the, the end of time because there was so many people, so many people that just didn't, didn't, that didn't do it. Not at all. It felt, uh, it felt a little bit like a little bit of a middle finger um, to not have more people involved with World Vape Day than were involved. And I'm not talking about consumers because consumers, the, the Grim Army, all my yo-yo patrons came out in force. Just crazy amounts of tweets, crazy amounts of retweets. Really very, very helpful. I mean, huge, huge numbers. It is, it's a lot to ask the consumer to defend the product that they use. You know, it's it's a big ask, and I get that. And I get also understand that not everybody can just drop what they're doing for an entire Saturday and just get on Twitter and tweet things. Not everybody can go hard in the paint. A lot of us were going real, real hard in the paint. And a lot of it was 
consumer-based. And I was <sighs> disappointed. I was disappointed to see so few tweets or no tweets at all from other individuals in this industry who are quote-unquote YouTubers, influencers, or personalities otherwise was really a little bit disheartening. And I am not in the position to call anybody out. I'm just not going to do it. Just not going to do it. I can leave that up to you guys if you want to see who was and was not tweeting on World Vape Day. But I felt very <sighs> bummed, <laughs> you know? I felt really bummed that if you're a, if you're a person in this community, if you're a, a if you're an influencer or if you are a uh, personality, whatever you want to call it, and you have profited off of this industry and continue to profit off of this industry and off of this community and you couldn't be bothered for one day to just go on Twitter and retweet some stuff and maybe craft some tweets. It's not like it's difficult. It's not like it's hard work. It's not like you're shoveling concrete or doing data entry or, I don't know, working on high-tension cables. It's not a difficult thing to get on Twitter and do some retweets, craft a little tweet that says, Hi, my name is uh, so-and-so. I smoked for this long. I The only thing that worked for me was vaping. Um, hashtag World Vape Day. Something that's just that simple. A few sentences with a hashtag. Could have done that a few times. It just seems... it. Again, not calling people out. I was just a little bit bummed that there wasn't much, much more involvement in World Vape Day because it could have been much bigger than it was. It was great, and it was a, it was a huge success. I'm not trying to downplay the success of World Vape Day, but it could have been... It could have been a lot better, but for what it was, it was awesome, and I felt really good about it and felt very satisfied and very justified and very vindicated in what we were doing, fighting for public health, fighting for a less harmful alternative, and thankfully the consumers did jump on board and, uh, and really make World Vape Day something big. And I posted a tweet late on Saturday that said, uh, who, who wants to keep this party going tomorrow for World Vape Day? And Sunday was the day where protests started happening, George Floyd protests started happening, and it kind of got to be a dicey area to the point that towards the end of the day when I was still tweeting about World Vape Day, some of my subscribers and followers on Twitter were kind of saying, hey, Grim Green, why don't you read the room a little bit? You know, there's kind of a lot going on, kind of a lot going on. And I, I took a step back and I went, yeah, all right, I get it. I get it. Cool. <laughs> cool. I'm just, let's just pump the brakes a little bit. World Vape Day was a, was a huge success. Now let's let voices... Uh, that have something else to say, you know, step up and use the platform and 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 that's the direction we're going to go, I guess. I was truly and honestly at the end of Sunday, going into Monday, kind of almost relieved that World Vape Day was over and that we had done what we'd done and made a big splash and got to the people that we wanted to get to, but it did feel weird 
it felt weird tweeting, World Vape Day, oh, Cuomo, you don't care about vaping when, you know, there are people dying (laughs) in the streets and there's protests and riots going on and there's still these vapors who just won't shut the fuck up about World Vape Day. You know, we get it, World Vape Day. I don't want to put people off of vaping. And so that's why I kind of tapered things off on Sunday, especially going into Monday. And Monday was the day I decided to just, we're going to, we're going to go black this week. I'm going to have no streams. I'm going to have no nothing. I'm going to make a statement and we're just going to all try to learn and sit back and have some empathy, have some understanding and try to try to get through this as a country, as a society, as a race, you know, as a race, a race. I don't think I'm using that word correctly as a, there's only one race, you know, the human race. That's what everybody says. So buttons. I think that's where we're going to leave this episode of the full grim podcast. I wanted to do something this week, some sort of some sort of wrap up just to let everybody know wh- where I'm at, what I'm doing. Everything should be getting back to normal as soon as humanly possible. I think Monday we're going to hit the ground running. Hope to have some reviews out. Hope to do a Tuesday Bro Tuesday. Hope to do uh, fucking some more burps. <laughs> I hope to do a vlog on Thursday. And again, I, I just want to thank you For all of the support, I want to thank everybody that took part in World Vape Day. I want to thank everybody that has had some sort of discussion with me on any sort of social media regarding, you know, racism and uh, authoritarian cops and politics. You know, these topics can be really, really divisive, but they don't need to be. And I've learned over the last weekend that when you approach something with a little bit more empathy and a little bit more kindness, you get a much better response from people. You know, I think that's something that uh, people like Ben Shapiro just don't get, just don't understand. There is a way to talk to somebody. There is a way to talk to another human without sounding like a complete and total piece of shit. I got real fired up a few times this weekend and I argued with people and I regret it and all I'm trying to do and it's what I think we should all do but what I personally Grim Green are trying to do is be a better person today than I was yesterday and that's where I'm going to leave that thank you so much for listening everybody be excellent to each other peace